And if you haven't been here, we're in a phenomenal series under construction. And the cool thing about it is our church is actually under construction. They did the youth, the nursery, that area over there in the student center, and then our volunteer central. You'll see some tarps that are down there. We're actually under construction. construction. But there's times in our life, too, where pretty much everything is under construction, right? Um, our relationships continually under construction, right? You're working on those. You're building those. If you don't, they go dormant. They go dead. Our finances, right? Can I get an amen? Whose finances are not always under construction, right? Um, Relationships, right? They're under construction. So many things in our lives, even with our faith, always under construction. So this series has been really, really good. We talked about how the gospel, how that needs to be propelled the first week. We also talked about the Holy Spirit, how that needs to be influenced in everything we do in our lives. And it was really, really good last week. If you have, if you missed it, you need to go back and watch it. It was about the Bible and the building blocks of faith, right? So we're going to talk a little bit more about the building blocks of faith with prayer and intimacy with God. So I want to start off by asking you a question. And it's nothing you have to give me any feedback. Just in your mind, I want you to answer the question. And there'll be some multiple choice answers up there as you think through. What is the most important thing to you right now in your faith if you had to answer from one of these? What's the most important thing to you? Get into heaven? Well, if you think about it, right, once you become a Christian and you're saved, there's nothing else you need to do about getting to heaven. Right? There's nothing else that you have to do to get to heaven. That's, that's done. Christ did the work on that. What about serving God? We have an awesome dream team there. We have people that made this service happen. A lot of you guys serve as well, too. We come birth from a missionary church. Serving God is an awesome, awesome thing. But God doesn't, he doesn't need our service. He allows us to have service, which is really, really good. But he, he doesn't actually need our service. And service can actually be something as a stumbling block because you think you have to do works to please God. It's a great thing, but it doesn't need it. What about being in God's will? Now, that's a sermon topic. Everybody loves that sermon topic. Pastor Reagan, Pastor Bowen are here. They'll tell you when they preach about being in God's will, Woo! the crowd loves it. But what happens when you get there? What happens when you're in his perfect will? What do you do next? Well, D. Every aspect of A through C, it's always about knowing God more. When we get to heaven, we're going to be in his presence and continually want to know him more. As we're serving him, hopefully we want to do it for him and get to know him more. When we get in his will, it's always this journey to know God more. So the answer is D. We should always be in this place of knowing God more because we'll never arrive where we'll fully know him. The Bible tells us that his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. So we'll never be in a place where we fully know him, but we can always strive to get there. So I have a challenge in bringing this message, right? It's a building block message, right? And a couple of challenges that were presented to me is that when you talk about intimacy with God and you talk about faith and prayer, right? When you talk about that, you can do a six-month series just on prayer. There's so many nuances in prayer that we'll never really uncover it in a sermon here. So I'm not going to have time to do all of that, and I won't bore you guys with that. The second challenge is that if you've been in church any length of time, you know you need to pray. There's nothing that I'm going to tell you that you haven't read or you haven't heard that knows that you need to pray more. I need to pray more. I need to connect with God more. We all need to do that. So I'm not going to give you any new revelation about prayer. I can really end it and say, pray more. Let's go. And the last one is I struggle with this too. So I'm not coming as an expert. It's something that God has given me a blessing and a word I believe I have for you today, but it's always a challenge, right? If anybody says that I don't challenge with that, switch places with me and you can finish this thing out because that's something we all struggle with, right? Just knowing God more, being intimate with him. So if you guys will stand with me for my text verse as we honor God's word together. 
It comes out of Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And a lot of times this is titled in your Bible. You'll see Jesus prays in a quiet place. Now, the Bible wasn't necessarily broken down in chapters and verses. Those were added in later. And this is a subheading in a lot of the Bibles. It was very early in the morning and still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and he went to a place where he could be alone. There he prayed. The title of my sermon is A Quiet Place. Everybody say, A Quiet Place. You guys may be seated. Let me pray over us in this message and our time together. It's just as an honor to be in the presence of God. So if you guys will pray with me. Dear Father, we are so thankful to just be in a body of believers We are so thankful to be in your presence where we can communicate your word, God. I just ask right now that it's none of me, none of my words, God, that my flesh dies only to you and your perfect will. I pray right now that the hearts of the people listening, God, that as they strive to know you more, as they want to know you more, God, that there's a message, there's a word that they can get encouraged, Father God, to be closer to you, to be more intimate with you. We thank you, Jesus. And we love you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So by nature, I love quiet. Um, I love people, don't get me wrong, but I love my quiet time. I'm re-energized by quietness. I love quiet. I can be alone, but then be with people. And something about being alone that I just absolutely just kind of just re-energizes me to be with people. And there's something about quiet that just gets you just in a place to yourself where you don't have to be with the crowds. And all my introverts said, amen, Amen, right? There's some people here that just love, love the quiet time. And it's a little difficult in my household with three kids under the ages of eight being married. There's always noise. There's always distractions. There's always something going on, whether there's a a Disney movie or the kids coming up saying, we're hungry. Can we get a snack? And parents that are older, do they, do they ever stop eating and asking for food? My goodness, right? There's always noise. There's always something going on. And my wife, she's a homeschool mother. So a special prayer for you mothers, you teachers, and you homeschool mothers. So when she's done teaching, she's still mom and her days continually go. And she does this cool thing, and it's cool having a wife that's the teacher too, because I get these videos of their cool science projects, things that they do in school. And while I'm at work, I'll get a video and it'll super, super just really encourage me and like, oh, that was really cool. And so I'm reminded of this one time. I get this video at work and they had done something that, I don't know, shot some type of rocket or, or did something with my spices and sauces to turn them different colors, whatever kids do with their science project. And they were super happy. And in the video, they were like, dad, we can't wait till you get home to show you this. They were super excited. And that was their big buildup to come home and show it to me. And so as I continued through my day, I was encouraged. As I went through my day, it happens as it happens to all of us. Your day absolutely just beats you up. You are just tired. You don't want to do anything when you get home. You just want to relax. And it wasn't working at the church. This was a great place to work. It was my other job. So it wasn't here. So I want you guys to get confused. And so I get home. I mean, I get done with work. I get in the car. I pull up the video. And in the video, I'm reminded that they, they want to show me this. And they're super energetic. They're super excited. And all I want to do is be alone. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, those moments are super precious to me because I absolutely love my kids and I love those moments. But this day, I was just out of it. So riding home in the car ride, that's usually when I get my solace. I get my peace. I re-energize. Does anybody else have to re-energize so they don't have to take the burdens of work to home? So my car ride, that's normally the time. But even this time, I couldn't do it because I'm worrying about the Honda Accord that's cutting me off or people running the red light. And there's all these distractions and things and noise that are coming in. And I'm like, man... I just want quiet. I just want to be alone. And so I enter into my subdivision and I do my typical, instead of my typical two laps around before I enter, I do three just before I get home. My wife's looking at me. That's why you're late for work from home, huh? Yeah. And so I do that. I was like, all right, let me get in here. Let me muster it up. I pull in the driveway, open the garage, and her van's not there. I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Is this some type of sick surprise where they're trying to, spoil this for me. I open the door. I peek in. I'm ready for it. I'm like, they're finna come somewhere. 
and it's quiet. I don't hear anything. I go to the couch, I plop down, and it's just peace and it's bliss. I'm in my quiet place. So the point of the illustration of that story is just, even though I'm upstate on stage talking from the pulpit, Pastor Reagan said this last week that just because we're here, don't let it come from us. Don't let us be the model. Use your word, fact check. And my quiet can be selfish at times. It can be just for me. My quiet place can be a place of just for Kel. So what I want us to do, what I really want us to get across in this point is in today's message, we want to illustrate the motto of Jesus Christ. He actually gives us the motto of intimacy, alone time with God, of being alone and being in a quiet place. Paul says it like this. 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So there's a lot of good preachers out there, podcasts, good Christian shows, but if they're not pointing to the North Star of who Jesus is, don't follow it, right? If we're up here and not pointing to who Jesus is, it's irrelevant. Follow me as I follow Christ. So today, church, we will follow Christ. Amen? You with me? Okay. So let's go on this journey. If Jesus is our model and we are following his ministry, right, to get to this place of intimacy, he continually withdrew to silent places, to quiet places. He withdrew from the daily activities, to the demands of ministry, to be alone with his heavenly father. His solitude and his silence is a major theme throughout the scriptures. You see it over and over and over again. His ongoing intimate relationship with the Father was the source of his power, his wisdom, his authority in every phase throughout the Gospels. So what I want to do is let's paint this picture. Let's give a little context, though, because what we're going to do is we're going to dive in into the ministry of Jesus to see how this concept is apparent throughout. And first, I want to tell you as we provide context on his, his ministry is I love history. That's one of those nerd things I love, and specifically biographies and autobiographies. I love learning about people. Um, I'll learn about entertainer, entertainers, um, generals, political figures, sports athletes, all the way down to, to mob bosses and dictators. There's something about the dynamic of learning about the um, intricacies and the psyches of people, and, and I love to do it in the Gospels, too. I love to read about Moses and Daniel and, and David and just some of the great people and pil pillars of faith. I love to read about the, the disciples and how they went and took on the gospels. I love Paul, but my absolute favorite is Jesus and his ministry, right? He's the savior. He's worthy of it all. And this book highlights his life and his ministry. So how could we not love it? How could we not crave it, seek it, and want to learn from it? So I'm a little nerd on that. So what I want to do is give a little context first, and then let's go and see how Jesus supports this case of a quiet place, prayer life, and intimacy with God. So when Jesus started his ministry, Luke 3, 23 tells us he was around 30 years old, right? And so he would have been the son of Joseph, a carpenter. He would have done that by trade. But the Bible doesn't tell us much about his growing up. It's funny, we do Christmas services and the entire month is on the birth of Jesus, which is phenomenal. But most of the gospels, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, right? That's what most of it is highlighted on. And so he would have started at about 30 years old. Where it would have started, it would have been in the Jordan River. That would have been the pinnacle where it's, you know, theologians show like that's where it started, the Jordan River, and then from there to Judea when he goes out into the wilderness. And so that gives you a concept of where his ministry started when he was about a 30-year-old man. And how it started, his cousin, John the Baptist, had a ministry before him. And his ministry came on repentance of sin, which is important to us because it foreshadows as we enter his presence, we have to come with a repentance heart. So John was very, very pivotal, right? And they were cousins. Um, their mothers were related and they happened to be cousins. And so what John does is he's baptizing people for the repentance of sin. And Jesus comes and he's like, hey, John, cousin, baptize me. He's like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. He's like, no, go ahead and baptize me. So he baptizes him. And then the sky opens up and you guys know the story. A dove descended down, descends down and God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Right. And from there to launch fat his ministry, he goes off into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan there. And then his ministry begins. So why did he come, right? 
Why was this ministry so, so important? First, his purpose was the redemption of man, right? So we can have perfect unity with God the Father. So he died on a cross, as we all know, and that's why his ministry came. But over 80 times in the gospel, it talks about the kingdom of God, right? His ministry was a kingdom ministry. Prophets of old had ministry about, okay, so this is God's judgment. Moses was about taking his people to the promised land, right? Jesus' ministry was about the kingdom. And he spoke with such authority, right? Nobody had spoken like this before. Nobody had such insight as Jesus. So his ministry was a kingdom ministry. And it was about the kingdom of God. And so now that we've given a little context, let's give a little highlights, right? Those big faith blocks of why we love the Gospels, right? The faith blocks of the highlights of his ministry, right? Pastors preach on this. You'll see um, things on Instagram that'll give little sums of his, his healing and his power. The things that we rely on, those bedrocks of faith of what Jesus did. The first is, is his healing. Countless times, over and over, Jesus was a healer, right? Jesus healed the blind right? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. People would come just to touch him just to be healed. He had a healing ministry, right? We get excited about that because he says greater things that we will do, right, church? And there's probably plenty of people in here that know people or have people in their lives that needs healing, and we get encouraged about what Jesus does from his healing of his ministry. That's a highlight of his ministry. Then there's the miracles and the provision, right? His first recorded miracle was turning the water into wine at a wedding. He also turned bread and fish for food, and he multiplied it so the people that were listening to him teach, they could have, and he provided, he gave provision. He walked on water. He defied the laws of nature themselves. He spoke the storms to be calmed in existence. These are the faith stories that we, we, we have the bedrock of our foundation. Our kids are learning about. We know from the Bible stories, these are highlights. These are really good things in Jesus' ministry. John 21 says this, though. It says, all the things that have been recorded, they're not enough to fill all the books. There wouldn't be enough room, right? So he did even more than this. So it shows us, because Timothy says that every word is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, right? And if that's the case, how important are the words that are in the scriptures that are God-breathed for us today? How important are those words? How important are the highlights of his ministry? Which is funny. If those are so important and there's so more that didn't get included, why does this portion get overlooked? Why do we miss this next portion that's overlooked? Jesus getting alone, solitude in a quiet place. We can tend to read the Bible, and we'll go and we'll skip to the next highlight of ministry, highlight of faith, and we miss this. Jesus retreats. Jesus goes to a quiet place. Well, don't take my word for it. Let's go through the scripture. So this is a great time now. If you have your Bible app, open it up. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn. Um, we'll have it on the screens if you don't have it. But let's start with our text verse. Mark 1.35, right? Jesus building this case of, all right, this is what I did, model my life, right? We need to model Jesus and his life. So Mark says this, very early in the morning. I love this, very early in the morning. And it kind of tells you a little bit about his character, who he was. When you think of somebody that wakes up early in the morning, right? You think of somebody that's, dis, um, that's disciplined. You think of somebody that has structure, right? When I think of somebody that says very early in the morning, like what if it said Jesus woke up at noon? You're like, Oh, well, yeah, what was he doing sleeping that long? But it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus went to his quiet place. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often, word often, small five-letter word, but it's important because it describes consistency. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He went to his quiet place. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went to the mountainside to pray, right? Before he went off to a solitude place, the other one, he left home. Now he's at a mountainside. I'm seeing a theme here, church. You guys see that? He's actually leaving the places where he's resting and sleeping, and he's going off to be alone in these quiet places. This makes me think, should we have places where we go? 
places where we're not disturbed. A prayer closet, right? You might not have a mountain by your house, but maybe it's your backyard. A place where we can go and we know that's our place of sleep, of not sleeping, but going to a quiet place. There's been times where I'm like, I'm super excited. I'm going to pray, but let me just pray right here in bed. And I'll start praying and I fall into REM sleep and I'm gone. And it doesn't become a prayer at all, right? So Jesus left. He withdrew. He went away from that and he found a place that was quiet to pray. And it tells it time after time in the scriptures, right? So Jesus in the wilderness, he went off, found a quiet place, prayed. In the garden of Gethsemane, he went off, found a place to pray. Not only that, not only does he model it, but he teaches us to pray. Greatest sermon ever given, right? Matthew 6, Jesus, te- Jesus tells us, go off, pray in secret, pray alone. He tells his disciples before his death, go and pray. Go to a place to pray. You're going to need it for what's about to come. So if you don't get the theme, Jesus kind of builds the case with his life through his ministry that if we want to seek that intimacy with God, if we want to go to that quiet place, what do we need to do? We need to get away. We need to make that a part of our prayer life, our prayer time to have that intimacy with God. And so as he builds the case, what is he showing us? What is he telling us? Well, what he's telling us, we need total dependence on the Father. A radical dependence on the Father. Well, there's nothing else that I can do outside of you. I need you and I need you only. You're worthy of it all, right? Just like we sang the song, total dependence on the Father. Think about this like this. If somebody were to take you right now and take your head Dunk it underwater, hold it down there for 30 seconds, right? When they pull you out, what do you want? You want to breathe. (laughs) You want that breath. Having that same type of dependence on the Father that all you want is more of him. All you want is more of him to fill your spirit. That's the model that Jesus is telling us right now. Nothing that I can do on my, my own, it's all because of you, Father. Longing for that intimacy with God. He was longing to be in his presence. He wanted more and more of God to be intimate with the Father. So what if I told you guys that me and my wife, we have an awesome marriage and a great relationship. Some of you guys were like, so what? Big deal. I don't care. It's okay. Some of you guys were like, hmm, prove it. How do you know that? So what if I told you we communicate daily? Communicate daily, that's important, right? Intimacy, got to communicate. What if I told you that she's the first person I see in the morning and the last person I see at night, right? If I'm not traveling or she's not traveling. What if I told you that I budget to spend money on her? All the women said amen? amen. Yeah. What if, I, what if I told you too that I, I celebrate her, especially in groups, especially in public. I love to celebrate my wife. Okay, maybe you guys do have a good relationship. Maybe it is intimate, like you're saying. What if we peel back the onion a little bit, right? What if I told you our constant communication we have, it's merely transactional? See, I didn't leave with that the first time. But we only talk about, hey, is it dry cleaning? What are we having for dinner? Did the kids get there? Get there on time to whatever activity they may have, right? What if I told you that she's the first and last person I see? That's by proxy because we sleep in the same bed. It just happens to be that way. Oh, and the money I budgeted out for? Well, she uses the AC and the water, and I budget for that every month. (laughs) Right? And now we're pulling back the onion, right? We're pulling back the layer. And then what if I told you, yeah, I love to celebrate her, but the only time I celebrate her is when we're around people. It's not just me and her. And as I start to peel back the onion, you're like, huh, marriage ain't that good, Kel. And I'm just giving an illustration here. But what if I told you guys, what if we do the same thing with God? What if our talking to him is just merely transactional because we know we're a part of a Christian body and we need to do it, right? What if we wake up and say we pray, but it's just become so just not authentic, right, that it's become a token thing that we do? Or I pay my tithes, but we're not doing it out of the sacrificial place of our heart. We're just... I'm supposed to do this. This is what we've always done. Or 
What if I say, hey, we had this great time of worship and we just celebrated God and I do celebrate him, but what if it's only in this environment and not in your quiet place? So when we look at that and, we, and we're, we're really honest with ourselves and saying, okay, do I really have this intimacy with God, this place that I'm craving with God? And so what holds us back from this? What holds us back from being intimate with God? What holds us back from this quiet place? When I was thinking about this sermon and this title and God play, played it on my heart, put it on my heart, um, the first thing that came up is um, the movie, A Quiet Place. Anybody seen that? Yeah. And so my wife likes to connect in our alone time. She likes to watch movies. And I would rather talk, go out to a nice dinner and maybe talk. And so I guess she gets the compromise, so she just talks through the movies yeah, I, I, I don't like that. And, and so the premise of this movie, because I'm not endorsing the movie. I don't want you guys to go watch it. Actually, I want you to go pray all night with God and get alone. But this is kind of building my point. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic society, and the human race is scattered out, and it's only a few of them. And what happens is that you have this, this quiet and when there's any noise or any distractions that interrupts the quiet, it's the demise of humans. And so what that shows me is that in our quiet place, we have distractions. We have noise. We have things that pull us out of the quiet place. Because I know everybody here, most people would say, I want to be intimate with God. I want to be alone with God. Um, I want to enter into that quiet place. And so as I was studying and asking people like, what gets you out of that quiet place in preparation for this message? Two themes were pretty consistent. They came to mind. Um, we just had our city group. And if you guys don't know what city groups are, they're groups around the CSRA in the homes of our people. There are a lot of people here that I know that are hosting homes and city groups, shameless plug. If you're not in a city group and you're looking for a community, join a city group. The Want Community, you can take a picture of the Want Community. It'll give you the details there. So join us, city groups, my shameless plug. So we're in our city group and we're going around and everybody's asking, the, the question, the theme is, is what keeps us from community? And the same theme that kept coming around is time. Like one of the guys said he works 14 to 16 hour days and then we gotta take the kids to the activity and then I serve at the church and as they're going, I'm like, oh man, that's me too. Ooh, yeah, that's me too, that's good. And then when it finally gets Saturday, I gotta do chores to keep the, and maintain the house. I gotta cut grass, I gotta wash clothes. I'm like, man, that is me too, right? So time is a killer kind of of our quiet place. And I was sitting around in the city group, I was like, man, I don't even have time to be here, really, if you think about it, and the way you guys illustrated everything. It's funny because we're in the most technologically advanced time in any part of history. And so they've created things to be time savers. Like if, I look, if our forefathers look back at us and we say, man, we're too busy, this season's too busy, we don't have time, you have Instacart that'll bring your groceries to your door? You don't have to, I've got to grow those for months, wash them and cook them. What do you mean you don't have time? You've got a mini computer in your pocket that schedules, that gives you alarms. You know, you can contact people, but not that. That's, that's not what does it. It's this little app called TikTok that can show you in 30 seconds how to make NyQuil chicken. Anybody? <laughs> Please don't do that. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And, and so we have all these things that are time savers, but they're also time detractors, right? Technology takes our time. Let me show you. You can binge watch a series, a 10 to 15 hour series the entire weekend. You can do it in a night if you want to. I'm old enough to remember I had to wait till next week to see the next episode. Your phone, I don't know if the iPhone has this anymore. I think it hit like a lead balloon. It was a really, really good thing in theory, but they had this feature that told you the analytics of how much time you spend on your phone. Anybody still use that? Anybody still use that? Yeah, well, that's good. Most people don't because they're like, ooh, seven hours on social media, I don't wanna see that. So they disabled it, right? So even our phones that are telling you how much time we're wasting are taking our time. They sit in board meetings trying to figure out how you can spend more time on their device and social media. So what I realized, church, is we don't have a time problem, we have a prioritization problem. 
That's what the real issue is. You see, time is made for what we value. It's all about our value system. Let me illustrate a little bit more in the gospel. So Jesus, before he died, had the disciples with him. He told them, I need you to go pray for what's about to come. He went off, he came back, and they were playing with their eyes closed because they were asleep. And so they valued sleep in that moment, and it happened again. The Pharisees, when they prayed, they valued, they valued their appearance and their stature and how they look when they prayed. Make sure you see me when you pray. The Gentiles, they were educated. They babbled with their prayers. They wanted long, lofty prayers, right? They wanted their education system to be up. What do we value? When is our intimacy, our intimacy with God? What's important to us? Our hobbies? The things that we do? Do we put those over that intimacy with God? What about relationships? Is there an improper balance with our relationships and our intimacy with God? What about work? Work's important. The Bible talks about hard work. But do we put it over that relationship with God? You see, Jesus worked too, but he knew the value system of that intimacy with God. And we already talked about entertainment. We can spend three to four hours on watching a football game, but we don't have enough time. I'm guilty of it. Where's our value system with our time? The second theme I heard, and it was really a theme amongst believers, it was hearing from God. This aspect that I just don't hear him. He's not speaking to me. God, where are you? I've been praying and praying and praying and there's been nothing. You guys felt that place? Have you guys felt that place? And so when you go to the place, you kind of go into it and it's like, man, it's even hard for me to enter my prayer time. I got to get out of bed just so I don't hear him. I do a Devo time with my kids and my seven and six-year-old, they're at the place now where they're very inquisitive. They ask a lot of questions. And so after we pray, I'll catch them at the end kind of with one eye open, just waiting for me to be done. And I'm like, you're not praying? Why are you not praying? We're praying to God, the God in heaven's well. Dad, I don't hear anything when I pray. It's like, what do you mean you don't hear anything? Well, like how you're talking to me now, I just don't hear God. And it's cute to explain to them as they grow into their faith, but I think a lot of us try to approach the relationship with humans the way with God, right? So if we're in a conversation and we're talking, and I'm talking to somebody, they give off verbal cues. They'll interject in the conversation. They'll be like, oh, okay, mm-hmm, yeah. Like if you talk to somebody and they just, it's probably not an enjoyable conversation. And, and I think we can tend to look at God, God that way too. So. If we look at that relationship and that dynamic and how we approach God, maybe it's because we're speaking a lot, but we're not listening. Do we listen to God? Do we take time for him and his presence and his spirit to enter, or are we just talking, getting off a token prayer, getting off a set of things that we want? How we approach God is important. See, God welcomes our request. It's okay to approach God with our heart and our request. Don't get me wrong on that. But as we enter with our request, it's not our timing. It's his timing, right? I think of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and Lazarus have just died, and they sent off, teacher, teacher, your friend has died. And Jesus came, and they were like, if you would have been here. So they put their requests, but they wanted their timing. And God, it just doesn't work like that. And so I want to get a, a, a point. I want to take a quick sidebar that kind of illustrates this, but I don't want you guys to miss it because I don't want you to leave here like, man, I need to change my approach. God doesn't hear me. Church, if you don't hear anything else, God absolutely hears you. Isn't that amazing to know? The creator of the universe who hung the stars and the moon, he hears us when we pray. Don't take my word for it. Let's go to the scriptures. Psalm 55, 17. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. He hears my voice. Isn't that powerful and comforting to know he hears us? Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, 
He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have, we asked of him. And so though we need to change some things, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, God hears us and we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged that we have a God that cares enough about us, that sent his son, that tore the veil, that we can enter into his presence, and that's good news. So Jesus, he gives us um, the quiet time model. As we change our approach into prayer, as we position our value system in hearing from God, Jesus gives us the model. So the disciples in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just gave this great, great sermon, right? And he's ending it off prayer. And the disciples are like, man, I've seen you. I've seen the power you've had. I've seen the, the miracles you've done. And now you've spoken with authority into prayer. Teach me how to do that. I see John and his disciples pray. I want to know how to pray like you. So he gives us the model, right? He gives us the way of how we're supposed to do it, a way of remembering. So if you turn in your Bibles, we'll go to Matthew chapter 6, verse, we'll start at verse 9, and this is the Lord's Prayer. A lot of us have recited it, memorized it, and we won't go through the entire thing. We're just taking verse 9 and verse 10, because I think with this, you can do an entire series just on the Lord's Prayer of how we enter into this intimacy with God. And so Jesus tells his disciples and he tells the people, he says this, pray then like this. He starts off like this, our father. And so we can even, we can even stop right there. He's showing you, right, that we're in a family, you and I, our father, right? We're in a, a hierarchy relationship or this big family of God where God is the father for everybody. Then he says this, he, he puts them in his, where his position is placed, our father, in heaven. So worthy is his name that we were talking about. This positions him where he belongs. And it goes on to the next verse. It says, hallowed be your name. That's just another way of saying, God, you are holy. And so as we look into our value system, we have to look at who are we speaking to? When we go into our prayer and our prayer time and our quiet place, who are we talking to? Jesus saying, hey, when I was in my quiet place, you weren't there, but I'm going to give you the model of how I enter into the presence of God, right? And so he says, holy is your name. Sometimes we have to take reverence and realize who we're talking to. I know with my kids, they're comfortable with me. A lot of your kids, they're very comfortable with you. So they'll come and they'll say something like, oh, dad, I don't want to do that, or man, or whom. And I'm like, hey, who are you talking to? And they'll perk up and they'll have to look. I think sometimes we need to look like, who are we addressing? Who are we talking to? How holy is this God? He goes on to verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so the second part we had was hearing from God. And I think this is very, very foundational and fundamental when we want to hear from God. How do we position it? How do we pray to him? Is it what we want and the things that we have? Or is it God, your kingdom come, your will be done? So when we get into those quiet places, I think we need to look at it through a different lens. And Jesus gives us the model here. It's funny. Pastor Reagan talked about this last week, how science catches up to the Bible late. How science and psychology, they catch up to the Bible. Um, it was, it's interesting. There's this phenomenon, I say about the last five or seven years, but it's not even new. It's been around for centuries, actually thousands of years. And entertainers, celebrities, they'll talk about meditation. Have you guys heard this? Like, man, I just go to this place of meditation and I just breathe and I, I block everything out. And oh, so you pray, right? It's just, you don't know who you're praying to. That's the, the only difference. And so they didn't create anything new or they're not talking anything new, something that the Bible has already told us, right? And this is some of the benefits they said. Some of them are it, it lowers your blood pressure. Scientifically proved having consistent meditation time lowers blood pressure. Steadies your breathing. It increases your creativity and your mental focus, clarity. And it reduces stress. All these they have proven by polls and case studies that meditation does this. And we already know that people that are praying and have consistent time with God typically have less stress, right? because they're connected with the Father. And so back into this model, 
Let's look what gains Jesus had from his quiet time that maybe we can draw on in our lives today. And so Jesus cancels the noise, right? He has his intimacy with God and he gives us the gains of his quiet time. The first one is he prepares us. Anybody here going into a big life decision or came out of a big life decision? Or maybe you have a, a, a scenario where you're like, do I take this job? Or um, how do I handle this financial thing or this relationship? Is there anybody that's going through something like that? It's probably you know somebody that you should be praying for or you're going through something or you just came out of that season, right? And so our intimacy, what Jesus shows us, it prepares you for what you're about to be going through. Here, look. So in the beginning of his ministry, what did Jesus do? Before he started his ministry, did he make this six-point business ministry plan of how he's going to go and take these three years? Did he get this great team of individuals that's going to be great at, at marketing, somebody great at administration? No, he didn't do any of that. Did he go to Caiaphas and say, hey, you got the ear of the people. Let me learn from you for a while, then I'll start. No. What did he do? He went to a quiet place in the wilderness. He went alone. He was prepared for what he was about to go into. What about his death? We talked about that a little bit. He was about to die, an agonizing death. And you ever heard the thing like, what do you do if you had 24 hours to live? What would you do? And they come up with all these crazy things of what they would do. What did Jesus do? Let's do what he did. He prayed. He goes into this place of pray, prayer, this intimacy with the Father. The next thing he shows us, it positions you. It positions your heart. Anybody had a difficult conversation that they're dreading? Maybe it's with a boss or a coworker. Maybe it's with a spouse, somebody sitting next to you, a friend. If you haven't, you've had one before, you're going to have one. Anytime we're in relationships, there's difficult conversations. And what it does, it positions you. So Jesus went around in his ministry and he was healing the blind like we talked about, the highlights of ministry. He was laying hands on people. And all they wanted was more of his miracles. They just wanted more of his miracles. And Jesus could have easily said, I'm here to preach the kingdom. I know what's about to come. All you guys want is miracles. And I know if that were me, I'm like, man, whew, I'd be done with him, Jesus. But he's not like that. Because he had intimacy and quiet time with the Father, he actually had compassion on the people. You're hungry? Hey, fish and bread. Let's have it. Fish and chips. We have them for lunch. Like he would multiply that because he had compassion because he's like, hey, you may not get it now, but my grace is sufficient. You'll get it one day. And so it positions you. And some of us need that positioning before we make that next rash argument, right? Before we go into that difficult conversation where we don't have the words. We need that positioning with the Father. The last thing, he gives us perspective. Whew. Perspective is a good thing, but sometimes we don't want perspective, right? Your will, but not my will. I remember... I was early, mid-20s, a lot of you guys, young adults, youth, and people that are older, you probably had this time where I was looking like, God, where do you want me? What's the next move? In this particular time in my life, he had already told, told me like, hey, I've got something that I have planned for you. And I was in a position where I was struggling with, with, with my boss and the leadership because the direction was a little corrupt. I was in a position where he had given me all these creative things, but there were people over me that I knew weren't talented, more talented. I knew they weren't called, and I was just stuck in the mud. My wife will tell you, I'd come home every day, and it's like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be here. And even in my prayer time, because I was praying, I was like, God, you've shown me this. You've given me this. What is happening? Where am I? Anybody ever been there before? And so what he told me in my prayer time, he's like, hey, Maybe you need to change your perspective. And as I started to pray for perspective, what he showed me is that I needed that season to go into the next point of where he was going to take me. If I didn't have that perspective, I would have missed it in that next season. Remember, it's not his timing. The son of God himself, he was flesh. He was human. He was about to die. And you remember what he said? If there's any way that you can take this cup from me, he didn't want to die. But what's the next thing he said? Not your will, not my will, but your will be done. 
He had perspective because he set himself up in his quiet place. He set, him, he set himself up in his prayer time to know that God has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. And I think some of you guys need to hear that today. C.S. Lewis, um, a famous Christian author, writer, apologist, is an atheist that was converted, very intellectual, smart. He was in Oxford, and he had been recently married, and he found out that his wife had come down with cancer. And it was devastating to him. And he would go to the chapel there at the institution, and he would pray every day. He would pray every day. He would pray. And one of his colleagues, a non-believer, came and said, hey, do you think that's going to change your situation? Almost mocking him of sorts. C.S. Lewis looked at him and he said, you think I'm praying for my situation? I'm praying for my perspective. And to be in that place, church, where we can say, not my will, but your will. Change my perspective. A lot of times what we do in our prayer life is we have a telescope and it's turned the other way where the big end is magnified on us and the small end on God. It's not what he's called us for. We've got to flip that around. We've got to face God with it and say, God, it's your will to be done. Whatever it is, I'm ready to step into that. Your will. So church, I want to close here, but I want to do it a little bit differently. Um, I want you to stay there in your seats. The lights will lower. If everybody under the sound of my voice can just close your eyes. Get into your quiet place of focus on God, that place where you want God to meet you, where you want more of God, where you know you want more of God, where distractions are coming in. And so what's going to play is an audio file of a typical day of sounds in the day of the life of a typical person. Just distractions and sounds we may have. Some of them may resonate with you. Some of them may not. And as you're focusing on God, these distractions are going to come in. It's going to take your mind to different places. But I want us to just focus and get our hearts. And then I'll come back at the um, end to pray us out.
Church, if you'll just keep your eyes closed there, as we have all these distractions that come into our lives, these things that are pulling us, these noise, these sounds, God, I just want us to go to a, just a moment of silence, to just focus on the Father's heart, enter into a quiet place. Church, would you stand with me as we pray? Father God, we come before you knowing that you are worthy of it all, God. You're worthy of all our praise, all of our honor. Only you get the glory, Father God. God, we come to you wanting to know you more longing for this intimate relationship with you. God, please help everybody under the sound of my voice. As they leave this place today, they're going to have distractions, going to have things pulling away from, from you, God. I pray right now, God, that you reconnect our hearts, that we use the model of Christ's ministry, know that we need you more and more. Our total dependence lies within you. Father God, our heart cries out to you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you. We have a God that hears us. We have a God that longs to be with us. The creator of the heaven and earth and the universe wants relationship with us. He wants us to get away to our quiet place to connect with him in prayer, to focus, to prepare us, to position us, but ultimately for us to know him more. Let that be our prayer today, Father God, as we leave. Let us be encouraged with each other, Father God. Let us be a church filled with prayer, a church built on prayer, the foundations, the building blocks of prayer, God. Let us not be a token thing that we do, something we just check the box off, God. Let us be intimate with you. We thank you, Jesus. We love you, the perfect sacrifice that you are. We praise you. And everybody said, amen. Man, thank you, church. Give him praise. Give him praise, yeah. Thank you, guys. He is worthy of our praise.